I, I titled this section um, Hyena Butter Part 2. Oh, God. <laughs> Nicole. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hello from your favorite Grasslands PR team. This week, we're back with another reason why these overlooked and underappreciated ecosystems are objectively the best biome. I'm Rachel. And I'm Nicole. Hi, Nicole. (laughs) Hi, Rachel. Um, (laughs) So today, we're going to be talking about a fun little creature that is just very weird looking. They live in South America. They have a very unique social structure, and that's what I'm going to focus on. Okay, okay, okay. We're going to talk about the Patagonian cavi. <gasps> oh my God, I should have known. I should have known. I should have known this is where you're going. You told me South America. You told me creature. Mm-hmm. And you gave me a picture of, I don't know, some spring box or something. It'll all make sense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't piece together. I should have known because we've been talking about cavies so much recently, just like outside of a podcast context <laughs> yes yes we have um full disclosure they are not related to gazelles what? um <laughs> well why why would you do that to me it all makes sense i promise um okay okay make a prediction <laughs> yes it's gonna be because there's something about them that is like socially similar to them if they're not related i originally thought it was like some sort of evolutionary connection mm-hmm. now i'm saying my prediction based on that new information that they are socially similar. They have a behavior that is similar. I don't know. They're not necessarily socially similar, but they do have a behavior that they both do. Okay. I wasn't expecting an immediate answer. Nice. Mm -hmm, Instant mm -hmm. gratification. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're so welcome. Um, But yeah, the Patagonian cavi. It's a weird, weird little creature. Um, They are a rodent, um, Mm -hmm. even though they kind of look like a rabbit and a lot of their common names incorporate rabbit into them. Right. Um, They are also called the Mara, the Dillaby. In Spanish, they're known as Libre Criola, which is Creole hair. Okay. In German, they're called the Papashen, which is the Pampas hair. So... A lot of people are really drawing from those big, big ears that they have. They also have very big eyes. And when they're sitting on the ground, they look very rabbit-like. Okay. But they are more closely related to guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. And they, when they stand up, all resemblance to a rabbit stops very suddenly because they go from this cute little loaf And then they stand up and their legs just kind of keep going. (laughs) (laughs) And they're just on these little tiny stilts. And it's, I think it's adorable. My partner thinks they're one of the ugliest creatures to ever exist. Well, that's extreme. (laughs) Has he seen other creatures that exist? (laughs) I know, right? Um, But yeah, I'd I'd be curious. I want to like do an informal poll. Listeners, please let me know. Are they cute? Are they ugly? Are they you know, a sin upon humanity. <laughs> I, I want to know. Um, I think they're adorable. They are very weird looking. Like, just first glance, you're like, what is that? And it's definitely, guinea pig is not the first answer that you would think. <laughs> no. I'm also, like, having a problem where I I have seen Patagonian cavies before, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. But I still, when I try to imagine them, I'm picturing, like, a capybara with stilt legs and I'm like, where are the ears? Like, I can't picture the ears. Like, my brain picture of what they are can't reconcile, like, the actual creature with mm-hmm. my memory of what it should look like, yeah. you know? I'm glad that you brought up the capybara because all of the, like, descriptions of these guys, they're like, it looks like a rabbit. And I'm like, I mean, kind of. But, like, they have a very capybara face. Yeah. Like, it's just very, like, round. Um, like a guinea pig. Yeah. It's like a guinea pig capybara face. Yeah, or yeah. capybara. I- whatever Mm. yeah Mm. (laughs) just gotta be consistent we'll we'll gaslight our audience into thinking that we're saying it right Um, (laughs) but yeah they have a very capybara face um but they do have long ears um compared to a lot of other rodents in particular yeah and that's where that rabbit resemblance comes into play okay um but they're they're very large they're not guinea pig size or rabbit size they're about 35 pounds um 15 kilograms okay and 
they are kind of a nice, pretty, like gray brown on top, a lot of times with like a white belly and then like a russet red color in between the white and the brown. Ooh. Um, I, just, I think they're a really pretty little animal and very, very cute. Um, one thing, even though I have seen these in person at the National Zoo um, here in the U.S., and I watched them for probably like 20 minutes. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> I, they weren't doing anything. They were just sitting there, but I just stared at them for probably about 20 minutes. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I never noticed that they have a little tail. It's about two inches long. Oh. And it's completely hairless. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Like a rat. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Yeah. I, when you said it has a two like inch long tail, I was like, yeah, that feels like it makes sense with my memory of these mm -hmm. animals. You had me until the hairless part. I am yeah. shocked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How did what? <laughs> yeah, it so like they have a very they have like little fluffy leggings. Like they have a lot of butt fluff. Yeah. Um it's also white, so they have a really nice white rump patch, which okay. is very similar to like a deer or an antelope. Mm -hmm. Um and they actually will use that rump patch as like a signaling thing like a deer or an antelope. Okay, like they um, puff it up when they're trying to be yeah. like I'm in danger. Mm -hmm. And it, like, makes it extra white and, like, bright. Yes. And they also use it um, – I, I don't think they have very good vision because I read multiple papers uh, that mentioned that rump patch being a good way to, like, follow each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you yeah. your nose in your neighbor's butt and you can make it together. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So the white, the white rump patch is nice. But that all that fluffy fur hides their little naked tail very well. Um, so, yeah. Can I – I want to see a picture. Do you have – should I Google this? Like, what is – how do I find a picture of this? It's, like, kind of hard to find. Like, oh, I no. had to look at multiple pictures of um, cavies just kind of hanging out before I noticed their little tiny tail. Because you can just barely see it poking out from behind their fur just because it's so short. And, and the fur and is I, so fluffy. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> and I say hairless. It has, like, sparse hair, like like a rat tail. Um, yeah. But – yeah. It's not fur to like the rest of them. <laughs> they also have very unique feet. Um, four toes on the front feet, three toes on the back. Um, and multiple times I heard the back feet being described as hoof-like. Yeah. I mean, kind of, I guess. Like, they are very, very long nails, um, which allows them to run extremely fast. Mm. Um, and their front feet they use for digging. Mm -hmm. um, they live underground most of their life, um, except for when they're, you know, looking for food and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, i trying to remember how fast they run. Can I I've, – I've looked up a picture of their tail now. While you are yeah. looking for that information, can I ex describe something I think will help <laughs> the Please. audience? So, like, you're probably imagining, like, a skinny rat tail. It is It is kind of like a blunt instrument. <laughs> it, is, it is not quite yeah. a skinny, like, rat or opossum tail. It is, like – Little thumbs sticking out of their butt. Yes, <laughs> that's yes. naked. Just, just to help your visual there. Are you? I, I think I know the answer, but are you going to mention guinea pigs and how they relate to them? Um. So I have actually have a family tree because I knew that you would ask, and <laughs> it's a special interest of mine. I'm sorry, I, know. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> I know. So it's family cavidae. Okay. And two subfamilies underneath that. So subfamily Cavanae, which is the guinea pigs, the mountain cavies, yellow tooth cavies, and the rock cavies. Oh my god, there's more than one cavy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's a lot Whoa. of weird little guinea pig creatures okay, in South okay, America. Cool. So all those guys are there. Um, and there's multiple, so like there's three different species of mountain cavies, five different species of guinea pigs as we think of them. Okay. Um, so there's, there's a lot of species within that subfamily. Gotcha. Um, and then there's subfamily delict, I don't know, this, the Mara subfamily. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that I'm not going to try to pronounce. And Maras um, are like a group of a different creature, even though that word yeah. is also sometimes used to refer to Patagonian yeah. cavies. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. So the Maras, there's two species of Mara um, that are in their own subfamily separate from all the other cavies. Okay. But they are in, they're in the same family. So they're very, okay. very closely related. That's cool. Okay. This actually, I think, already answers the question that I had, which was like, I guess 
this branch of the the mammal tree was I was blind to all of its contents. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to piece together like, are guinea pigs like a a very ancient domesticated cavy? And I think probably the answer is that it was domesticated from some other cavy, not necessarily the Patagonian cavy, but like there's some relationship there in the branch where guinea pigs were domesticated. Yeah. And guinea pigs are fully domesticated. They're not I mean, they're kind of like, I'm sure, dogs in the sense that, like, sure, they're domesticated gray wolves, but they're, like, very distinct now, like a different species now. Yeah. The guinea pigs that you would have as a pet, like, do not exist in the wild um, because they have been domesticated for so long um, and originally domesticated as a food source. Um, And there's there's actually... Like chihuahuas. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Hang on. That's different. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? <laughs> don't worry, don't think about that too much. Keep going. There's not even any meat on a chihuahua. I don't know. I heard that on TikTok one time, so I assume it's fact. Okay. Um, citation needed. Maybe we'll come back to that in a later episode. Um, but there are some, like, really, really big uh, guinea pigs out there. Like, like four or five pound monsters. Um, like, they get big especially when they're they're raised for food um but yeah so like the guinea pig that you have as a pet does not exist in the wild kind of how like you're not just gonna find a rottweiler running around unless it's astray so yeah and patagonian cavies are just like a cousin somewhere on the branch of the tree that includes their ancestors yes cool but yeah and and, because when you look at them i mean they don't they don't scream rodent no at all they well yeah to me at least they don't (laughs) scream rodent in the way that i think like yeah, like a hare mm-hmm. does not scream rodent, but it has like some features. And they're not a rodent, you know? And yeah. so it, it feels justified that they don't look like a rodent, but yes. like a cavy. <laughs> huh. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and like I said, there are two species of Maras, but I'm just going to focus on the Patagonian Mara. No particular reason. Okay. I just think they're cool. Wait, is the Patagonian cavy a Mara, one of the two Maras? Yes. What? Okay. Yeah. That's, and oh. I'm, I'm going to call them Mara to try to eliminate some of that confusion because since cavy is like a family. Right. And we call guinea pigs cavies and we call Maras cavies. A Mara is like a more specific yes. type of cavy. Yeah. Cool. So there's subfamily cavanae, subfamily Maras. Cool. cool. Yeah. And there's only two Maras. So that makes them very unique. Aww. Um, but yeah, let's, let's... How fast do they run? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I looked it up. Um, so I just looked it up again, and it was only 25 huh. miles an hour. I don't know why I thought it was 45. That does sound like a lot of miles per hour. They're qu- they're not that big to be running like 45 yeah. miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I don't know where I got that in my head, and I'm really glad I looked it up. Um, so yeah, about 25, 30 miles an hour. That's still pretty impressive for as like a 35-pound animal. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And there's not a, like their primary predators are going to be like foxes and hawks. Um, and okay. uh, this little weasel guy who has a fun name a weasel i'm sorry what <laughs> uh Gr- grison grease greason greason yeah they're they're they look very similar to like a badger but they're in the mustelid family okay yeah some little mustelid dude yeah. in south america you mm-hmm. mentioned they're from south america you mm-hmm. did not mention more specifics about their range i assume they're like around Patagonia, but <laughs> yes, you'd be correct. Um, okay. Yeah, it's going to be really open parts of Patagonia primarily. Okay, um, there's like really specific latitudes. Whoa, latitudes go this way. She's m- motioning horizontally. <laughs> I think so. Longitude? Yeah, longitude is the one that goes up, pole down? to pole. Okay, yeah. cool. There's really specific latitudes. Like, it, I can't remember what the numbers were, but like. Every website was like, yes, directly between these two latitudes only. Fascinating. Um, But that doesn't have any, like, I can't conceptualize what that means. Yeah. So it did not stick in my head. Um, But yeah, Mara's really like wide open grassland areas. They'll they'll exist in like kind of shrubby areas too, but it's going to be like the Pampas. They're going to, they really like um, the high altitude. um, Steps. Step environments which are also very cold, which is a big reason why they live underground. Um, oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's much warmer under there. Um, but, yeah, they, they live in really large, uh, like, colonies. Mm-hmm. And you would think that that would make them really social animals. <laughs> yeah. 
but they're not fascinating what yeah okay so that 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 really blew my mind a little bit and so that's why i wanted to focus on their social life and how it changes as they age. Ooh, okay. I am so intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as adults, usually what you're going to see is a male and a female mated pair hanging out together, but like not too close. She has a lot of feelings about her mate. Um, okay. I will say I'm going to use a lot of... Um, I'm going to give a lot of emotions to these animals. A little anthropization. Yeah. What? Anthropization is the way you say that word. <laughs> yeah. So there, that's just how a lot of the research is kind of written around these. Sure. We're obviously giving them emotions that they may or may not have. Yeah. But yeah, she does not seem to like her mate very much at all. And I okay. find that hilarious. And I'll go into more detail in a little bit. Um, but yeah, male and female traveling together. And otherwise, there will be other Maras present, okay. um, but they tend to be, like, at least 10 yards away from each other, which is weird. Like, they do live together, and they will alert each other to danger and all that good stuff, mm -hmm. but they are not social. Interesting. Like, there's no, like, mutual grooming or, like, no. bonding activities. They nope. don't play checkers on <laughs> Thursdays. If only. Okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's 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 really, really weird. And as much as that female does not like her mate most of the time, boy, he just loves her oh so God. much. And he is always following her. He's watching that white rump patch and he's following her throughout the grasslands that they live in. Okay. And <laughs> I, I titled this section um, Hyena Butter Part 2. Oh, God. <laughs> Nicole. <laughs> oh, no. Because... <laughs> Maras do have an anal scent gland, and they use it very often. And okay. in particular, the males, like, whenever their their female is, like, resting on the ground, he'll just, like, rub his butt in a circle around her and be like, this is my lady. Don't touch her. And he just, it was described as a visually distinct marking. Oh, no. I visually? Visually distinct. Like, to humanize? Yes. Oh, so, no. like, hyenas, theirs is, I, I think it was black and white. Um, and, like, you can see it, like, when they lay down this this scent marking. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find any pictures of uh, Mara's scent markings. Maybe it's for the best. Um, <laughs> but it was described as, like, a visual thing. Like, it's not just, like, like a, we think of, like, a cat spraying. Like, it's just pee. It's not really, it doesn't have, like, a consistency to it. Yeah. But this does. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> this is good information to have. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but yeah, he will like use her almost as like a mobile territory and oh. he defends her very aggressively, especially towards other males. Okay. Um, like and that's, that's why they have like that about 10 meter space between each like pair. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So like he is just literally orbiting her sometimes with visual markers. Yes. Oh no. And she's like not super into him. But she he, just, yeah. She just she hangs lets out. It happen. Yeah. <laughs> She oh, literally no. just, like, hangs out in, like, multiple um, – so I, I found this paper uh, by Genist and DuBost. It's from 1974. And I will say a lot of the research on these guys is quite dated. Oh. And all of the new research – not all of the new research. A lot of the new research is just them, like, citing especially this paper over and over again. Interesting. And just kind of, like, rehashing the same old stuff. Okay. Which is – strange um these papers are really robust and they're written very well and i mm -hmm. love the way that they're written because they're written very accessibly <laughs> um so i really like them they're good papers and we'll have them linked in the description if you want to check them out mm -hmm. um but in this paper um it, it talks about how the males just kind of follow the females and this quote just made me giggle thus the female occupies the role of leader Though this is a passive leadership, so since she does not seek out her male partner when he is some distance away. <laughs> so, like, literally, she just does whatever she wants, and he just follows her all day, every day. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> wow. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's fascinating to me. I, I have... Like, so many questions, and I think I'm uh, not sure whether to interrupt you and, like, completely derail you on this. Maybe I will anyway. Um, <laughs> how important to, like, her 
well-being is having a male around. Like, if she didn't have a male partner, like, does that affect the way that she navigates the world or does her behavior change to, like, find a dude? Mm -hmm. Um, Is, like, her quality of life decreased at all or does (laughs) she seem to not notice, you know? Like, what? how does it affect her in a captive environment? Yeah. Because they are so commonly kept in captivity. Mm -hmm. But, you know, also in the wild, if there are unmated females, like, does their life suck? Yeah. By not having this dude around or are they just kind of like, whatever, like my life is basically unchanged, but I just don't have like some guy protecting me from other guys. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that's that's a great question because, yeah, like we think of them as social animals and needing that social bond. Um, And I I think that they they do need that. Mm -hmm. Um, My my stance on that has not changed. Okay. Um, But it's it seems like it's really, really rare to find a male or a female completely alone. Okay. Um, so if there is a, so they do mate for life um, oh, okay. for what it's worth. Um, who knows if that's just like him just following her until one of them dies or if that's, maybe she is getting something from that. Yeah. Um, but they do mate for life. They're very monogamous. Like they will okay. not seek out other partners, not even the male. Like he has his female and there was, I can't remember if it was this paper or a different one, um, but they were watching some, some wild cavies. They were watching some wild Maras and they actually saw that males would chase off males from their females, but they would not mate with that that strange female. They would go back to their female. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it, they are very monogamous. You mean that they would chase off strange females? They would chase after strange females and like oh. and chase off like her mate. Okay. Um, like the males are very aggressive towards one another. So they okay. would chase off the strange male from his mate, but they would not touch the strange female. They would just go back to their female afterwards. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Very That's weird. Cool. But yeah. What an interesting social structure. I'm like picturing mm-hmm. them as like basically bumper cars in an arena <laughs> and like the males just prevent any like mixing of any kind of like social duo with the yeah. others. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a total social buffer from the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, like, as far as, you know, so if they were to lose a mate, um, they've actually been found to seemingly mourn um, the loss of a mate. It didn't specify if it was male or female in this instance, but um, as they're kind of moving around the landscape, they will just kind of constantly chatter to each other. They make very Aww. similar noises uh, to guinea pigs. Okay. Um, so they Aww. make, like, yeah, they make little weeks and they, they, make, weak. they make grumbles. Oh, and like no, yeah, that's so mm-hmm. cute. Um, so the the mated pairs will like little make little weeks to each other, and they're constantly talking. Uh-huh. So they're getting something from each other. Yeah. Um, and when the like if the female were to go go out of the male's sight, he gets very upset and will make alarm calls, like very similar to like if they had seen a predator or if they were like being handled by a human. Um, and they will make those alarm calls, and the females won't go towards the male but she will stop what she's doing and like wait for him to catch up <laughs> will she like vocally tell him like nope calm down buddy oh no nope. she, <laughs> she just stands just... there she's like wow what? yeah when is he gonna figure out where i am what an idiot yeah like, oh no that's so funny why <laughs> you have the ability to just let him know you're there yeah <laughs> that's so mean it's so mean <laughs> it feels mean from a human lens i mean i'm, yeah. I'm sure like from her perspective it's like the normal way to do things but yeah <laughs> oh my god but yeah but they did find um you know if they were to lose a mate that they will make those the chattering noises and sometimes make the alarm calls looking for their mate um for several days or even several oh, weeks no mm-hmm, before <clears throat> they end up finding a new mate so Aww. yeah the, the, the bond is very strong between them even if like like you said earlier like they're not really grooming each other they don't even necessarily lay next to each other very often mm-hmm. um but there there is a strong bond there mm-hmm. regardless so that's really cool what yeah. an interesting little relationship they mm-hmm. have with yeah. each other Aww. <laughs> so they they will find a new partner mm-hmm. if yeah okay cool but literally like as, i mean not dies. literally but like 99 percent of the time only if that the other mate dies like they okay. don't they like they're very very highly monogamous which is also very rare in rodents yeah um, and in mammals in general really yeah yeah it's a super rare thing that's mm-hmm. like really cool yeah 
It's and so cute. Also makes me very sad that she won't just like let him know she's there. Like <laughs> I know. he's in pain. Look at the man. Like uh-huh. please <laughs> have some pity for him. God. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> um, I will say I I kind of understand where she's coming from. Uh huh. Um, because of this next part. Oh no. So <laughs> in addition to the uh, rubbing anal secretions around her. Um, he will just, like, rear up on his back legs and just pee all over her. Oh, no. Yeah, and mark her that way. Um, and... I'm sorry. She- <laughs> what? Ew. <laughs> oh, no. Yep, yep. Um, okay. and if she's not feeling it, Ooh. um, she will raise up a back leg and just pee right in his face. Um, so... Does he... Is he does that upset him, though? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's... I'm getting the vibe that, like, he would just be like, thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, hard to say. Um, But he does back off if he gets peed in the face. Okay, okay. um, But, yeah, if if she is receptive to him and, you know, feeling in the mood for some fun times, then she won't pee in his face and she will allow him to get closer. So, Uh uh Mm uh-huh. Get closer. (laughs) Wink. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fascinating relationship. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, boy, I feel like there's a lot of things between the lines here that I'm just going to let them stay there. And I think that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows, who knows what, uh, Maras are into. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh God. And something really sweet. We all like, so you mentioned, does her life really benefit from having him around? Yeah. Um, they do watch out for each other okay. a lot. Um, so it's it's always good to have more eyes looking out for predators. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever you see a pair moving throughout the landscape together, usually it's one eating, one looking out for trouble. Okay. They really, they don't eat at the same time. Um, they, they take turns eating so that there's always someone looking out for trouble. Cool. So... That's nice. Do they look out? Um, I'm trying to figure out like as like a broader group because they do hang out like in larger groups mm-hmm. of like these pairs. So are they looking out for like the larger group in the sense that they're all listening to each other? Or is it just that like they happen to be so <laughs> dead set on looking out for their one partner that the rest of the group just benefits from it? Or, you know, like, how does that? Yeah, I, I feel like it's more of the latter where it's just kind of coincidentally, I'm looking out for my girl and therefore accidentally looking out for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That so. checks out. I, I feel like that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's not like um, like you think of like prairie dogs or meerkats where it's like literally one lookout. It's mm-hmm. every single pair has a lookout. And so. they do that independently of each yes. other. So mm-hmm. they have like a system with their one partner and mm-hmm. it just happens to, I guess, in that case, benefit the rest of the group too. Yes. Yeah. Um, the There is also like the male isn't all about procreation and like peeing on her to see if she's into it um he will in addition to looking out for her for literally looking out for her Mm -hmm. um this quote is very sweet so i'm just going to quote it directly (laughs) the male may also assist a female in difficulty we observed one case of a female with partially paralyzed hindquarters, which was unable to move with ease. In order to flee more rapidly from the observer, she supported herself against the flank of her male, who approached her at such times. Aww. In another pair, which the female had lost an eye, the male always placed himself between the blind side of the female and any source of danger on that side. Oh my god, that's so considerate. Like, I know. It's like even weird to me that he would like realize that she's blind on that side. Yeah. Like that is, it's it's astounding to me that like they would be so aware of the other's needs that mm-hmm. they would even realize that that's like a specific problem to look out for. Yeah, like, no, for each other. Definitely. It's oh my god. Pretty crazy. Oh, I have two questions. Yes. One, how does he look out for himself? What does he do to take care of himself? Um, I couldn't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Question number two. Would she do that for him? (laughs) That's a real good question. Um, None of the research that I looked at mentioned her helping him literally in any way. Oh, no. Girl. (laughs) I mean, but that's like, you know, 
obviously applying like a human lens of like what like human relationships would be like to be like it should be a partnership why aren't you supporting him back yeah this is just like a thing that works for them and also we probably have a lack of data for a lot of the research is coming from the 70s or whatever yeah yeah and she she does i will say she does all of the child rearing um she takes care of the pups he doesn't really help with that at all, other than, like, looking out for danger. So, yeah. yeah. They have a system that works for them. Yeah. <laughs> and they are socially monogamous. Mm-hmm. So, like, if he was there and blind in one eye, I'm sure that wouldn't, you know, deter her from their relationship. Even yeah. if she's not being quite as cognizant of his needs. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's 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 just... Very strange um, how they are both, like, almost hyper-social, like, in their pair bond, but also not social at all to the rest of their group. Yeah. Um, But this all changes when they're pups. Oh. So, (gasps) yeah. The pups, especially in the first couple weeks of life, are extremely social with one another, both with their parents, um, but with their siblings, and with just other, like, den mates. Wow. Okay. And I found this paper that looked at, um, it was only 10 pups, so it's a very small sample size. um, And they were captive uh, Maras in a zoo. So grain of salt, it's probably fairly safe to assume that very similar social structures exist in the wild. Um, Because there are a lot of studies of Maras in captivity and the ones in captivity and the ones in the wild seem to act very similarly. Um, But yeah, only 10 pups and it is a captive situation. But it's really, really cool study because it goes like week by week by week and looks at how their behavior changes. And it changes drastically week to week. Okay. Okay. Oh, my God. That's that's really cool. Um, Yeah. yeah, Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the they, they only tend to have like one to three pups with twins being kind of the norm. So very, very small litters. Okay. And like I said, the female is putting like all of her effort into raising those uh, pups. And they will also den together. So like different pairs will use the same den underground. However, the adults are still... Like, they still don't like each other. Mm-hmm. And essentially, they come by in shifts, and each pair will come by to feed her pups and her pups only okay. for about 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and then she leaves, and the next Mara mom, mom comes in and feeds her pups and her pups only. Okay, so they have, like, a nursery situation yeah. where, like, a, an adult is there watching the pups. Yeah. Really only cares about her own. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, the rest of the group is benefiting from that babysitter being there. Yes, definitely. Like, How the pups are always under watch. Fascinating. So. How many pairs? Um, it, so there has been uh, one den or warren. There's a lot of different words for kind of this group social situation. Um, but there was one den that I think had 30 pairs. Um, so about 60 adults and then, you know another 60 pups or so oh my so, god yeah okay wow <laughs> yeah it, it, it's it's a lot of little babies in one spot um and i just think it's fascinating like usually when there's this social rearing of young like everybody just kind of feeds everybody's babies and like are hanging out together and like yeah you know but it's that's, like if one thing is communal, then it might as well all be communal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but not with Maris. Um, Mom will s- sit outside the den, call her pups, and usually they'll come out to feed, um, oh. at least when they get a little bit older. Um, but she will, like, kick and bite and scratch any pup that's not hers. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh it's a very violent rejection. Because um, the pups are just like, ooh, milk. And, like, they'll go to any mom. Um, oh, yeah, because they, but... they have a different social idea in their yes. mind of, like, I would like any cabbie, mm-hmm. yes. Mara. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty brutal. Like, they even mentioned, oh. like, uh, the pups, like, especially in the wild – it's very common to see pups with, like, tattered ears and stuff like that. <gasps> because they got beat up by somebody else's mom? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, yeah, uh, this this uh, paper was by Gen- 
Genslosser and Winnet. I, I'm not German. I, I can't speak German. I'm so sorry. But it's a zoo in Germany. Um, and they broke down the development of the pups into three stages. The hider stage, where pups are underground together, hanging out. It's about one to three weeks of life. Okay. The follower stage, where they're following pups. or They're not following pups. They're following mom and dad around, learning how to find food, slowly being weaned. And that's going to be four to 13 weeks. And then 14 weeks on is going to be the weaning stage. Okay. Um, so pups can stay with, uh, especially with mom, for a while. Um, sometimes yeah. even up until she has another litter. Oh, okay. Um, it really just depends probably on like food availability, things like that. Okay. It's like 14 weeks is like a pretty long time. It is. Yeah. The the time investment, especially for a rodent um, to raise young, like it's, it's pretty intense for yeah. like, yeah. Usually, because like if we think of a rat, uh, they're weaned and pretty much ready to go by four weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, three times as long. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's really really fascinating. And up until the fourth week of life, so when they're in that hider stage and they're all underground together. The pups are extremely playful. Um, They're chasing each other. They're wrestling. um, They even play by themselves. Um, Like Like like, alone? Yeah, with like twigs and stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's so cute. (laughs) How do they they play? I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. (laughs) No, I love it. Um, Like it it just mentioned like playing with twigs. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I was just like, that's adorable. Oh my God. Um, And that you don't see adults playing ever. Like Uh they just like eat and sleep that's so lame yeah it's it's so weird um like just the change in their sociability is drastic um and like i said they're not just playing with their siblings they're playing with like other members of the pups that are down under underground like yeah. non-familiar members and as that kind of they'll they'll stop playing as much. They even groom each other when they're underground. Okay, which again, adults don't don't even groom each other. Right. Um, mom will groom her young, um, and she does. She doesn't really play with them, but she will groom them pretty often. Um, and yeah, that it just suddenly drops off at that fourth week mark when they go into that follower stage. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like all of the grooming behaviors. Uh, not all of it, but a significant portion. So, okay. um, I have a figure that I pulled out here. Um, and it's looking at specifically grooming and they break it down by frequency per hour. So at one week of life, you're seeing, uh, 12 grooming sessions per hour, which is a lot. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's mother, that's, uh, other siblings. That's all grooming sessions for one individual averaged out. Um, by week two, we're down to two grooming sessions an hour. <laughs> Week two? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And it's um, almost entirely coming from uh, their their mom at that point. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. By week two, it's coming almost entirely from their siblings. Mom is already over her pups. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> She's like, ah, eh, you'll figure it out. Two per hour still seems like a lot of grooming, though. Like, yeah. That's, you know, happening on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then once you get down to, like, the fourth week of life, uh, they might get groomed by their mom. They might not. It's kind of like it's like one per hour, maybe. Okay. So, yeah, it's it just drops off very, very quickly. Fascinating. And, and same with the play behavior. Um, so this one is proportion of activity. So like um, 50 percent of the time. Um, weeks one, two and three, you're seeing 40 to 50 percent of their time being spent playing. OK. By week four, we're down to 10 percent. Oh, that's a big drop off. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then by the time they're weaned, like it's just zeros. They just do not play anymore. Yeah. They're adults. They enter the workforce. It's like all grind (laughs) and no play, no fun, no Mm -hmm. vacations. They got to stay alive. That's so boring. I know, right? But they do play at least when they're in the follower stage a little bit. A little bit. But just like obviously not with their parents. Yeah, it's going to be, so a lot of it is individual play um, once they get out of, when they're in that follower stage. But there is a little bit of social play still. Um, But at the hider stage, so weeks one through three, it's almost 50-50 social versus individual play. Okay. Um, But then once they're out of that stage, it's almost entirely individual play. Okay. Do they ever like find themselves mixing up with other pups that are not siblings when they're in the follower stage 
or is that like fairly over at that point? I it I believe that it's fairly over. Um, so we, there's there's a lot of graphics um in here, huh? and so there's another one that's looking at. Let me see. So if we go back to the grooming graphic, it actually breaks it down. Like, is it other mothers? Is it members of the same den? Is it their siblings, their father, their mother? Mm-hmm. Um, and really, after week one, it's almost entirely going to be um, either mom or their siblings that are grooming them. The play behavior is not broken down by, like, who it is that's playing with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just social versus behavior. Okay. Um, but they there's also one other chart that I found really cool was just body contact. So them just, like, sitting close to each other. Mm. Just, like, a very passive social interaction. Yeah. Um, and, again, that is almost entirely going to be with mom and siblings. Okay. Um. When we're talking about mom, we're looking at, um, with the hider stage, so one to three mm-hmm. weeks of life, we're looking at about 22 body contacts per hour. Okay. Um, and almost 30 with other siblings. Um, and then with other pups, it's going to be about 14 per hour. So they're they're interacting a lot. They're, they're kind of hanging out. They're cuddling together to stay warm, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, once they hit that follower stage... Uh, one per hour from mom, one per hour from father, one per hour from other siblings. Like, it's insane. And that's like any body contact or that's like sitting next to each other? I think it's specifically more like like the grooming would not double count in this. Yes. It, it's pulled okay. out separate. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So like more passive, just sitting next to each other. Gotcha. So yeah. Wow. It's, it's that's insane. such a passive form of social interaction too. That's mm-hmm. like a really interesting way to measure like how social they are. Yeah. It's really showing you, yeah, like – their idea of social bonding, mm-hmm. like that counts and it matters because there's so few other like social cues that you're seeing. Yeah. Them. And then once you hit four weeks, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's so weird. It's so, so weird. Um, so then I wanted to kind of dive into like, okay, but why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why are they so social as pups? And then it just stops when they're adults. Yeah. 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 Um, and the literature, for the most part, like, we're not really 100% sure. We only have, like, some vague hypotheses. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it, so when they're really, really young, they're interacting a lot. They're being groomed. They're playing. They're, they have really well-developed senses of smell. Um, and probably a lot of that is just, like, learning who is mom, who is my, who are my siblings, who are mm-hmm. my other, like, you know, uh, den members. And so... There's a lot of that interaction happening so that they can learn those scent cues. And mom, okay. she usually is is finding her pups by scent cues because um, all of the pups come running up to her screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and she can – there is some – uh, like calling that goes back and forth between mom and her pups. Um, but a lot of it is probably scent-based. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and like I said, they're also cuddling a lot just because they're trying to stay warm mm. when they're really, really young. Um, they have a hard time thermoregulating. Sure. Um, so they're relying on other pups to help them with that. And then once they are outside of the den and they're following, uh, their parents around, they are probably starting to more look out for predators and things like that. Mm. Um, so they don't, they just don't have time to dedicate to grooming and all these other social behaviors or play um, because now they're just hyper aware of wow it's really wide and open out here <laughs> mm-hmm. i need to keep an eye out for predators yeah it's 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 very very strange and they also become sexually mature fairly young okay um and they will look out for mates pretty soon after like even not necessarily before weaning, but like by the time they're weaned, they're probably also in a monogamous pair. Oh, um, interesting. They, okay, yeah. like it happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. Very, very quickly. Um, and like you can't think about it too much. They're animals. But especially like lone adult males, um, they will follow uh, young females that are following their mom mm. and like start courting them very, very young. Okay. Um, so, and that's just normal. And she will actually allow him to do that. Okay. Um, like there's not really, and 
there's not a lot of antagonistic behavior towards like lone males. The the male that's with that female, mm-hmm. like the father, mm-hmm. is like chill with it too yeah. because they like understand that it's not like a threat and that they're there for the daughter. And, yeah, yeah, like you're not going after my girl, so it's fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, it sounds and, like they go straight from following mom to like being followed, or yeah. like what about the young males? Do they like? break off and start like following other females like pretty immediately they will yeah or a lot of times they'll join up in little bachelor groups um (gasps) and those bachelor groups are actually fairly social with one another um because it can it's not usually just gonna be like a pair it's like maybe four or five maras and they'll Mm -hmm. be fairly social with each other so yeah it's only when that male finds a lady that they become like just like you are my sole existence and (laughs) (laughs) i will not interact with anyone else and also, um, so, screw yeah. any male that comes too close to me. <laughs> yes, yes. I love bachelor groups in mm-hmm. animals. They Their behaviors are so different. And yes. Yeah, it's, I guess, becoming really common in zoos, too, to, like, keep bachelor herds in bachelor yeah. groups and stuff because they realize, like, that's a normal thing that they can mm-hmm. do. And they need homes and yeah. social interaction, too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing is that you could keep a bachelor herd of Patagonian cavies. Absolutely. Aww. But yeah, it's 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 just very interesting. And then I also I like I was like, why, why is this male so obsessed with his female? Yeah. Um, and the biggest hypothesis there is that they're so defensive of their mates. Um, because females only come into heat about every three to four months, oh. which is extremely rare for especially a rodent. Yeah, Again. that's so far apart. Yeah. And it's for about 30 minutes. No way. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> so he is like he's on like, her waiting for her to come into heat so that like he doesn't miss the opportunity. He's like, I, I have like a 30 minute window. Yeah. Every like several months. Yeah. That's that's a total of like an hour and a half per year <laughs> that he's like waiting for. Yes. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. That's so sad to me. <laughs> but I'm not sad. a Patagonian cappy. So uh-huh. Like I'm sure that's like fine for them. But like the idea of like I exist to to find this 30 minute window yes. every once in a while is mm-hmm. like oh no, buddy. <laughs> With my human sensibilities. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. Oh. I I get that. <laughs> it's kind of a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> but, you know, it works for them. Yeah. Um, and in so, something kind of interesting is in captivity, they can have up to four litters a year since they do come into heat every, you know, three, four months. Um, but in the wild, they tend to only have one litter a okay. year just because it's a huge investment that they're putting into them. And the environments that they live in are very harsh. Um, sure. So they can't, they cannot have babies in the winter. They would freeze and die. Cool. So, yeah. I have a question. Yes. Is that a matter of like the females rejecting the males, the other two 30 minute windows that happen in a year? <laughs> or is it like a, like a diapause situation where she can like put the embryo on ice basically until mm-hmm. she's ready to have reproductive control happening in her body or is it reproductive control happening socially um i'm really not sure that's a really good question um because diapause is very common um, yeah much more common than i think we even know right um but yeah i'm not 100 sure okay cool good question after <laughs> minor sleuthing i'm not immediately saying anything about diapause so it might just be that this one male is like Getting 30 minutes yep. out of an entire year where he's like, yay, my moment has come. <laughs> yes. That is, that is commitment. Yeah. Um, and, but the, the commitment does come with some benefits to him besides yeah. just, you know, raising the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, there, they, there actually have been studies that show that a mated male will rank higher in the social hierarchy than like a bachelor male. Mm. Um, though they also have much higher testosterone, so they're able to like better fight off those bachelor males. Uh-huh. Um, whenever a bachelor male approaches a mated pair, he's pretty much going to lose that battle every single time. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so they usually just, honestly, they probably just don't even try that often. At yeah. least an older bachelor wouldn't. A younger bachelor, he's going to try whatever he can. But, yeah. you know. 
I'm sure they learn fairly quickly. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Mm -hmm. There's a social hierarchy. Okay, what does that what does that mean for them? Like, is it like they have access to like better grazing sites, and the bachelor male frat house has to like <laughs> get secondary grazing locations or that sort of thing? Like, what is what does the social hierarchy do for them? Yeah, it, yeah. as like a larger group. Mm -hmm. I I think so. It was never expressly expanded upon in the papers that I saw. Um, but I think that that's a really, really good hypothesis um, because the way that they graze is actually um, interesting because they tend to eat just like the very tippy tips of things. Like they don't oh. eat like a whole plant. They just like deep, 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 deep and just take like oh, the best pieces. That's very um, cute. <laughs> yeah. So they, they move around a lot. Um, and because of this like uh, mobile territory around the females, mm -hmm. um, they're able to move around a lot and they don't really they don't have like a home range like we think of a lot of mammals having okay like they do like they have a preferred area that they will hang out in but they don't sure. defend a, like a home range okay um, they're like slightly nomadic within their preferred area yes yeah but then they always come back to that like same a lot of times they'll use the same den year after year okay um which i thought was really interesting um but yeah, so it's it's more just like the bachelor males are going to get chased off by non-bachelor males and likely do have less access to like primo forage spots. Yeah, like they're probably trying to look for the little bits that haven't had the good bits snipped off them already yeah. by the or something. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Did you say how big the like territory around a single female is <laughs> that the male is defending? Literally like 10 meters. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought you uh -huh. said. But I was like in my head, like, wait, was it ten feet or <laughs> like is it a very small? Yes, okay, no, yeah. ten, 10 meters is still very small. Yeah, um, for an animal, so that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, but yeah, and like I said, they're hyper vigilant, looking yeah. out for predators and things. So this weird social but not social thing is very beneficial in that way. Um, and I learned a new term. Have you ever heard okay, so let me start with I learned a new term. So there's diurnal active during the day, there's nocturnal active at night, there's a really fun crepuscular active at dawn and dusk. But there's another one. Um tell me more. I'm listening. What? <laughs> I had never heard of this. Um, so Kathmiral. Kathmiral. What does that mean? So Kathmiral appears to be kind of like a catch-all to animals that don't quite fit in those other three. Fascinating. And it just means that you're active at irregular intervals. Um, so these guys, they they sleep a lot and they eat a lot. But there's no, like, they are, like, primarily active during the day, but it's not, like, a set period during the day, if that makes sense. Like sometimes yeah. they're active at dawn, sometimes in the middle of the day, sometimes at dusk. So it's not regular. Okay. So it's a little bit misleading to call them diurnal. Okay. Just because it's kind of all over the place. Are they active at night sometimes too then? I don't think like the middle of the night, um, but it, se it seems like they are active at least a little bit at night. Yes. Like into the evening. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's I've never heard that term before either. I yeah. was expecting you to say something that like tickled my brain. I was like, maybe I've heard of that, but no, I've never heard of that. Yeah. That's so wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had never once heard that before. So Kathmiral. Kathmiral. Yeah. Oh, that's a fun word. I put is. that in my word bank for the week. Let's go. <laughs> Let's see how yes. many times I can find a way to use that. Probably never. But <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of animals that fall into it. And obviously okay. it's not super well used because we had never heard of it before so sure yeah i wonder if a lot of other animals that might fall into that category we've just like identified a better pattern to describe it or something yeah it's like let's just call them diurnal because they're basically diurnal <laughs> yeah or like let's call them crepuscular because they're like usually more crepuscular or yes something. um it, i did actually find an article that mentioned coyotes being um kathmiral oh, I was okay like, that makes a lot of sense to me because yeah. we see them in the daytime all the time yeah and you see them at night all the time so yeah. i was like huh okay that that is that makes a lot of sense okay they, yeah. they're active in the way coyotes are active but like on the daytime spectrum instead of the nighttime spectrum yeah mm -hmm. cool super cool <laughs> oh, oh that's fun oh i love it okay I'm calling ca coyotes Kathmiral from now on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
Um, and then the last little, like, as far as, like, why do they do the things they do that I wanted to point out um, was from this 1992 paper. Um, you know, if if all of the pairs hate each other, why come together to raise pups? <laughs> um, and really it just comes down to that vigilance um, and avoiding predation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was found that larger groups, they pretty much always have one pair of adults at the den at a time. Mm-hmm. And that's like up to like 90% of the time there will be a pair there. Yeah. Um, and the uh, survival rates of pups are much higher in large uh, Mara groups versus small Mara groups. Mm. So um, okay. I couldn't find exact rates um but it's it's significantly higher okay that's cool because it like shows like there is data to back up like yeah. what feels like it would be true <laughs> yes uh, so that we know like oh they're they are actually benefiting from this in like a material way that's affecting their survival and stuff yeah and it makes sense because i mean yeah thinking of the other secondary benefits of like you know the pups have more thermoregulation with a bigger pile of pups or whatever yeah. and like, you know, maybe the pairs are able to, like, get better brows because they're not having to stay so close to the den to go, like, check mm-hmm. on the babies or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then, so, how this ties into antelope. Oh. I gave, oh, I gave you that. Oh. <laughs> I, I completely <laughs> lost that. I was just so, like, uh-huh. taken with everything else that was happening. <laughs> Oh, that makes me feel good. But <laughs> I gave you that hint. That yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah. What the hell, Nicole? Why was that the hint you gave me? Is it because they eat grass? No. Okay, good. <laughs> it's because of this very specific behavior that they do. <laughs> um. So they're hyper vigilant. What do they do when they actually see a predator? Run away? Mara butter. Mm, that would be fascinating if they just started like peeing and and like marking everywhere. <laughs> like, uh, go away, predator. <laughs> if it's butter, I'm I'm look, I'm thinking chunks. You know, yeah. like projectile mm-hmm. chunks. Yeah. Yikes. Um, they don't do that. Uh, That's nice. That I saw, anyways. Okay, cool. Who knows? Um, but no, when they when they see a predator, yes, they will run away. But in particular, they do what is called stotting. Stutting. Is that like uh, the thing that antelopes do where they get like rigid legged and they bounce? Yes. They ah! just, okay. so, yeah. Yeah. So when I when I see it with gazelle, a lot of times I see it called pronking. Pronking. Stutting. Yes. Pronking. I don't know which one I like better. They're, they're both, both incredible words. They're very good words. The mouthfeel is just <laughs> incredible. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so Maras are very fast and agile animals. They're perfectly capable of running away from most predators. Um, but the stodding actually has a specific purpose mm. when it comes to predator avoidance. Because you would think that just leaping just straight off the ground and making yourself very visible would not be a good way to avoid predators. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it actually shows the predator, look how just amazing and strong I am. Look at me bounce. <laughs> I am going to be so hard to catch if you try to chase me. Okay. So it's... Okay. Yeah. It's, it's like an athletic feat that's saying, like, mm-hmm. this is a little bit of an extra challenge for you. Yes. Are you up to it? Mm-hmm. Like, Yep. And this is another term um, that I had not heard before, was that of an honest signal. <gasps> so oh, I've heard of... Yeah, this, okay. this makes sense to me. Yeah, so it's an honest signal of their actual fitness. Yes. Um, a Mara that can stalk really very well is actually very physically fit. It's healthy. It's probably fairly young. Mm-hmm. And it is going to be hard to catch. Yes. Whereas a Mara that, like, tries to stalk and, like, falls over. That, that, that guy's going to get marked yeah. and the predator's going to be like, meh, well, I'll mm-hmm. go after you. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's fascinating and like, it is effective. Like there's a lot of different antelope and, uh, apparently Patagonian, uh, Maras that do this. Uh-huh. It's a very, very common behavior. Um, and it's, it's very effective. Um, it's kind of another example of like an honest signal would be warning colors on a poisonous animal. So yes. those bright colorations are saying you don't want to eat me cause I will kill you. Yeah. So, and that would yeah. be distinctive from like a mimic that's trying to yes. like use a dishonest signal mm-hmm. to get the benefit of something like that. Yes. Yeah. 
Cool, cool. I love the like fitness displays as an honest mm-hmm. signal too, though. Like that's pretty fun. Yeah. I can't think of any other like examples that are as obvious as something like this, mm-hmm. but like a lot of animals do that. And oh, yeah. they're like, you know, I am just literally trying to show you how much you don't want to try to kill me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I did see uh, when I was looking into like honest signaling, I saw birds um, Mm -hmm. brought up because a bird that has like really lush, beautiful feathers is probably fairly fit Yeah, um, versus one that looks a little ragged. Mm -hmm. So, or it could just be getting ready to molt, but you know. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. honest signaling. I, I feel like I like... It like vaguely was a thing specifically with like the coloration, but like you were saying, I've never seen it used in like a physical athletic yeah fitness sort of thing yeah so yeah um fascinating uh that was the only reason i mentioned uh gazelles he was starting in the picture yeah yeah so he was (laughs) starting (laughs) pronking yes (laughs) good good animals (laughs) yes um, but yeah, these these little guys, uh, they're just wandering around South America being cute on their little stilt legs. Um, they are actually, like, as far as, like, conservation status, they're doing fairly well. Okay. Um, they're, yeah, their biggest threats are going to be habitat loss and um, sure. human-related things. Okay. Um, in the past, this is, like, uh, good but sad. Um, in the past, their largest threats were predators. Okay. Um, but a lot of their predators are in severe decline. Um, so, oh, no. <laughs> so they don't have to worry about that as much. Um, oh, the silver lining. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, oh, but yeah, and and they do share space, you know, fairly well with each other. Um, even if they do have that like ten meter buffer zone between each other, mm-hmm. um, so they don't need really really big patches of grassland like we think of some other social animals like gazelles needing mm-hmm. that are like migrating big distances. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can exist in fairly small habitats. Um, okay. Obviously, if it gets too small, eventually they can't use it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of useful. Um, and just the fact that they can move around and find food fairly easily also means that they do fairly well on kind of uh, broken up habitats. Yeah. And the fact that they are doing well right now mm-hmm. means, I mean, apart from like human influences and stuff, means that if there is good conservation work with their predators, that's not going to put them at risk. Yeah, definitely. Which is good to know also. Yes. <laughs> that's an all positive I'll put in there. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, they are listed as near threatened on the IUCN red list. Okay. Um, so they're worth they're worth watching. Yes. Um, as many animals are. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that I would love to see just more like research on wild uh, maras because a lot of it is in zoos or in captivity um like one of the papers it wasn't like technically in captivity like it was a large pen that was like 10 hectares i think Mm -hmm. um so like still captivity but like they have the room to move around and display more natural behaviors sure um but yeah it's it seems i mean since especially with the pups since they're underground so much mm-hmm. it's really hard to get that data out on a wild uh herd so okay yeah that's interesting i do feel like um this particular animal for me um does evoke a little bit of that sense of being disconnected from their natural habitat you know yeah. like there's some animals that you see so frequently in documentaries that it's very easy to imagine a pika, like, for example, in its natural range and, like, yeah. existing in the space and the habitats that it exists in. Um, Cavies and maras, for me, feel like such a captive animal. Yeah. And, like, we're always talking – if they are talked about, uh, it's, like, about, like, their physical attributes mm-hmm. and it feels very removed from – where they exist in the world yeah that um that is something that i would also like to see more of with these animals is like like let's put them in their place and we've talked about like that sense of place before in this podcast and how for grassland animals especially like that gets so lost because like you know people don't like to imagine a lush grassland the way they like to imagine a lush rainforest or something but um yeah it it would be cool to see that research for that reason too, of just like thinking of them less as 
a zoo creature and more of this weird orbiting bumper car park in the wild. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's all I got. Nicole, I feel like this is a really good file to add to our uh, very serious and unbiased reasons why grasslands are the best biome uh, thank you so much for this contribution <laughs> <laughs> thank you it's such high praise <laughs> um i feel like our argument uh as promised continues to get uh better and better <laughs> um so thank you guys for listening uh, of course uh the best biome is produced through our nonprofit grassland groupies which is dedicated to inspiring the conservation of grasslands so you can find in our show notes the papers that Nicole mentioned, as well as our information for aggressing groupies, all the good stuff that lets you text, call, or tweet uh, your suggestions to us and any mail you'd like to send to us. If you enjoyed our show and want to support us, tell your friends about us. You can leave a review for us on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts. We could not do this without your support. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. once they leave the den dad does actually start interacting with them a little oh, bit oh that's not nice very much. <laughs> like literally one time an hour uh, <laughs> that's cute yeah, that's cute something. he's like oh hey that's what you've been up to <laughs> yeah i thought we were just hanging out here like oh yeah we did a successful 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> uh.